0: We're in the book of Galatians, as you know. Today we start chapter 3. Quick highlight of Galatians. Here's the issue. Paul's first missionary journey. He comes back, planted several churches. They received the gospel of Jesus Christ that were saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. They received that Christ is enough. And afterwards, After Paul preaches that message, a group of people called the Judaizers, they come to those churches and they say, You started by faith, but your identity needs to be Jewish. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the dietary laws. You've got to do all these things. And Paul is telling them, a gospel of Jesus Christ plus anything is no gospel at all. There's one gospel. Christ is enough. He's sufficient. And Galatians is Paul's most passionate, angry letter because they are taking something and calling it the gospel that is not the gospel. We look in other books that Paul writes, he graciously and kindly deals with the immorality of God's people, but when it comes to preaching a different gospel, Paul says there's one. And now today, we're going to look at a remarkable claim This remarkable claim comes out of what we saw last week. One of the verses Steve preached last week, we're going to put it on the screen. It's 2.20, Galatians 2.20. Hear what this says. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen to this. I have struggled with this in my life. And I venture to say if you're honest with yourself, this is a struggle for many of us here. Paul is going to teach something that is radical. Something that your flesh isn't going to do real well with. Paul is going to say this. You're saved by grace in Christ alone. You're justified by Him alone. But you're also sanctified by faith, not by works. See, so many of us, we buy the false belief that we're saved by faith. But then it's effort and it's works, and it's your effort, and it's your works that make you holy. It's your works that make you like Christ. No, it's by faith is what the Bible teaches, that we're made holy, that we're made like Jesus, that we're what the theologians would say, we're sanctified. That means we become holy. So let's look at our passage today, Galatians chapter three, verses one through nine. If you would please, let's stand for the reading of God's good word. Words will be on the screen. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly betrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit that you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that those of faith who are sons of Abraham... And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, Praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass. And all our glories, like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word, O oh Lord, it's your word that stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance is spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul starts off this passage in a very direct way. O oh, foolish Galatians! now those are what we would call fighting words where i come from i'll tell my boys often i say you know growing up when i was a boy people fought a lot and you had to learn one of two things when i was growing up you either learned this how to fight or how not to get in a fight well i wasn't a very big guy so i chose i want to learn how not to get in a fight and here's Rule number one on not getting in a fight. Don't mess with the big guy. Don't mess with the bully. That guy, stay away from him. And let me tell you, these group of people, the Galatians, Paul comes right in and he's picking a fight it seems like. These Galatians, listen to what they were. They were the hired mercenaries of the Roman Empire. They were the warriors. hundred years before this book was written, Cleopatra The queen of Egypt, she had 400 bodyguards, all of them Galatians. When she died, those 400 Galatian bodyguards guarded Herod, the king who had all the kids killed at Jesus' birth. The Galatians are a fighting people. They're a tough people. And yet Paul here boldly steps right in and calls them out. Why does he do that? This issue is that important. This is a first order issue. We've talked about this. There are things within the body of Christ that we will not divide over. As a church, we're not going to divide over a lot of things. But when you preach a different gospel, then that's dividing. There's one gospel Jesus Christ died for our sins. Enough. Don't add anything. Don't add your customs. Don't add your traditions. Jesus is sufficient, and that's what he's pulling into. Paul says, who's bewitched you? You're acting like you're in a trance. You started by faith in Jesus, and now you're going around saying we've got to be circumcised, we've got to follow these rules, we've got to follow these customs in order to be saved and to be sanctified. Something's happened to you, Galatians. And he, today he's going to ask them seven rhetorical questions. Now a rhetorical question is a question that doesn't need an answer. It answers itself in the question. So here's what he says. Um, he, he mentions, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly betrayed as crucified. Now this does not mean the Galatians saw Jesus on the cross. This is saying Paul... Publicly preach the gospel. All the Galatians should be going, we heard Paul preach salvation by grace alone. And these other people are saying something different. Paul says you've publicly had that preached to you and Christ is enough. And in verse 2, he says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, a rhetorical question. How do you answer that? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Sometimes in Bible it's it's referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Christ comes and dwells in us. Remember, Paul's just said, for me to live is Christ. Paul's just said that um, he lives, the life he lives in the body, he lives by faith. What does that mean? You see, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, not by works. It's not some second blessing. It's not something you get later. No. you When you are born again, that's what Scripture calls Christians, we're born again. We were dead spiritually. You had to be spiritually born through Christ. Once you're spiritually born, you can't go back to being spiritually dead and the Spirit of Christ comes and dwells in you. Now, Paul here, I've got three points for you. Three things that Paul's going to point out that are foolish to believe. The first thing, it's so foolish to believe that you receive the Spirit by works. That somehow God's Spirit's going to come and dwell in you, and you've got to work, you've got to do it, you've got to make it happen, it's up to you. Paul's pushing back. No, you were saved by faith. You received the Spirit by faith. Now, this is a misunderstood topic, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we'll be called a church that isn't very Spirit-filled. When I hear that, I say I disagree. Do you know how God's Spirit has chosen to speak more clearly than anything else? Through this book. We're a church of the Word of God, and God's Spirit speaks through this book, speaks to us. It's sufficient for all of life. The Holy Spirit, it's, it's not about an enthusiastic, emotional feeling, though God may give you that, but that's not how you tell a person has a spirit. We see here there's a few evidences of the spirit. Paul gives a few of them here. One of them in verse 5, he says, Does he who supply the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul actually points to miracles as a sign of the spirit. Now, when we read Scripture, we see God start things with big flashy miracles. The Exodus, parting the Red Sea, big miracles. God's doing something with the law. With the prophets, big miracles. With Jesus, big miracles. But God wants us to walk in faith. God doesn't want you to trust in a miracle. He wants you to trust in Jesus. You see the difference? Sometimes we we have what we call a faith in faith movement. Meaning, someone will tell you, hey, if you believe, God's going to heal you. If you have enough faith, God will heal your family member. If you have enough faith, He'll heal that loved one. God doesn't promise that. Don't go making promises that God doesn't make to people. God says to come to Him and cry out for healing. We've got members of our body right now that are sick. We've got members of our body in the hospital right now that we're crying out for and praying for healing. And I pray God heals them. But I can't promise it. God doesn't put us there. We have to trust Him. And if you tell somebody, hey, God will definitely heal them, what happens when it doesn't happen? One of two things. You'd have to look at them and go, it's your fault. Your faith is weak. That's saying faith heals. No, it's God who heals. Or you have to look at that person looks and goes, God must not be real because you told me He would heal. I don't believe. You see, it's incredibly dangerous to do that. Now, when we look at uh, how the Holy Spirit works, especially in this area of miracles, it's, they're not guaranteed. They're not promised, though we are all promised gifts of the Spirit in some way, but it doesn't promise a particular gift that if you have the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in a prophetic language or do these things. It doesn't say that, no. And listen to this. Miracles, anytime they point to a man over the man, anytime they point to a human more than they point to Jesus, that's very dangerous. Miracles are meant to point to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one who heals. No man can do it. It only happens through Jesus Christ. It's not guaranteed. And they typically look very normal. It's typically how many of these miracles look. I remember my wife and I, we were expecting our second child, and um, we went to the doctor. My wife's been going to the same doctor for years. And she watched She knows the doctor well. She watched the facial expression of our doctor. And as she read the ultrasound of the baby in the belly, her face moved from joy to panic. And she told us, I'm going to send you to see a specialist. Because something's not right. Well... We have enough medical people around us that people are looking up what the issues could be. We've seen what the issue may be and what it possibly is. And every issue leads to one of two outcomes. Short life and death or a horrible deformation that this child would grow up with. So for the next two weeks, next three weeks, my wife and I are waiting to go see the specialist. And let me tell you, one of the evidences that you are a child of God is when you hit trials you run to Jesus and you find peace in him in the midst of a storm and I'll tell you this is one of those seasons my wife and I were saying hey we're scared we don't know what's gonna happen but we trust God we don't know what he's doing but he's in control he's good we don't always understand how it works, but we're trusting him we went to see that specialist and he wasn't a Christian and I remember him pulling up on the screen what we had seen a few weeks ago and then he pulled up what he had seen that week and he's looking at him going back and forth back and forth and he's going this doesn't make sense I don't see it anymore I don't I don't see the problem he says I'm gonna send you for more testing my wife and I said we're good we're fine we don't need more testing we're gonna trust the Lord's healed him And if not, we're still going to trust the Lord. And when that child was born, he came out yelling and screaming and hasn't quit running since. Now i tell you that, and I could tell you just as many stories of people I've wept over, I've been on my knees for, and I prayed, God, heal them. And it hasn't happened. But you know what the greatest miracle of all is? Our ultimate healing will not happen in this life. Do you remember Lazarus? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Has anybody seen Lazarus? Anybody seen him walking around here? Lazarus is dead. Jesus raised him and he still died. Because these bodies, one thing that's going to happen to every one of us, unless Jesus returns before then, all our bodies are falling apart. They are under the curse of sin. They're getting worse. But ultimate healing for the believer, the day that body drops into the ground, the day you die, you're safe in the arms of Jesus. You have ultimate healing. I can promise you that. If you have trusted in Christ, you will experience that ultimate, final, glorious healing. Another way that we know we have the Spirit, it's not by works. Scripture says the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit to say we are his child. Look at what it, it says this both in Galatians 4, 6, but I'm going to jump to Romans chapter uh. Eight, verse 15 and 17 look at what it says about the spirit here for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs and if heirs then fellow heirs with Christ fellow heirs heirs with Christ God's Spirit confirms in your life you're mine no one can snatch you out of my hands I've got you you're, you're not going anywhere and look at what it says here you receive the spirit of adoption as sons In the early church, really from the first century all the way to what we call the Middle Ages. In the Roman Empire, when a baby was born, if it was born to a poor family, or if that baby was born to a, a, uh, out of uh, adultery or some sin, or if, or if um, that baby had some deformity, you would do one of two things. You would take the baby and leave the baby on the step of a rich person, hoping that they would bring them in and make them a slave. Or, you would throw the baby in the dump, and that baby wouldn't last very long. Do you know who came and collected those babies? Do you know who walked around and said, there's a baby in the garbage! I'm gonna grab that baby and make him mine. I'm bringing the house. It was the early Christians. The church, the early church, much of it was built on babies pulled out of the garbage. They're being thrown away. This is part of our spiritual heritage. You see, we all should celebrate adoption as we talk about Orphan Sunday because that's your story. Scripture says, you were born a child of the enemy. How does it make you feel? You're born a child of Satan, a child of the flesh, a child of this world. I don't like saying that. I I don't like that. Here's the glorious good news. God adopts you in as his child. And look, it says, not just as a child who goes, hey, be thankful you've got a place to live. You're going to be the household servant. You're a full heir. Full inheritance. When you stand before God, Christian, and God looks at you and says, why should you come in? And you go, it's Him. Nothing to me, it's Jesus. God's not going to look at you and say, well, you're only a partial heir. You don't receive a full inheritance like Christ. You're only a partial son. You're an adopted son. Jesus is the son. No, he goes, you're fully adopted in. You're a full heir. Come into my kingdom. God fully adopts us. One one of the beauties of our church that I absolutely love, we have people from all different nations. One of my favorite times of the week is stand here and look out and see beautiful faces from all over the world. Most of you being right here, this is your home. God's brought us here. It's a beautiful thing. And I recognize my culture has caused me to struggle with certain sins. Because I grew up with swimming in this water where they say, Hey, get all you can grab all you can. Life's all about you. It's about the individual, a culture of greed and a culture of coveting and fierce individualism and a culture that lacks true hospitality. That's what I've been swimming in. And I still struggle with it. So I want to say this as lovingly and graciously as I can. That our enemy... Has given a lie about adoption he said that you adopt a kid they're a second-class citizen I sit with people as they talk about adoption I've sat with adults here in Ethiopia who've experienced adoption they say yeah I was brought into the home but I was the servant I was a second-class citizen that's what I grew up with that's not a biblical view that's out of line with the Word of God I've sat with people that said I'm afraid to adopt because my family will say hey why are you giving that money to somebody else's kid take care of us the Enemy's done a number on this one there's five million orphans here in this nation in the past five years, 800 adoptions. Praise the Lord, but 800? 800 kids have been adopted out of 5 million? When I drive these streets, I often want to mourn. I love this nation. I love you, the people of this nation. I wouldn't be your pastor right now if it wasn't for adoption. That's how God got me here. Over 12 years ago, I visited this church for the first time, taking part in helping my wife's sister with an adoption. But God has handed adoption back to Ethiopia. I don't have the option to adopt. God has given it to Ethiopia. May we be a church that changes the viewpoint of adoption. May we be a church that people go, they're crazy over there. Look at how radical they are. What are they doing there? They're taking babies in that aren't their own and saying they're their own and they receive a full inheritance. May that be our story. May that be our legacy. May God change this city and this nation and may it start here. I'll tell you I celebrate. We've had several families that have adopted this past year. And I celebrate what God is doing there. One of my missionary heroes, he's an international church pastor like myself, so I guess that's why he's one of my heroes. But I heard him say one time, you know, people make a big deal about me being a missionary. He said, I can always go home. If things go bad, if things are tough, I can just leave. But he said, it's those who adopt. They bring that child in for life. And they have that child for life. He said, that's who I admire. That's who I look up to. That's who I see the Spirit of God working. So when I see families in our church say, we're going to adopt, and we're going to adopt first. Because some people say, yeah, you can adopt, but have your own kids first. You shouldn't be adopting first. Church, when you see adoption, may you celebrate it. May we not be the people who look and go, oh, we're, we're going to keep perpetuating ideas that are against Scripture. In church I pray if there's anything I've said that's confusing or anything other than a spirit of love and faithfulness to God's word that it would fall on deaf ears but let me say this some of you here you want children you're married, you don't have children God hasn't given them to you I can't answer that, I grieve for that I believe God is leading you to adoption I believe that's where God is taking you Some of you here, you may have already had kids, and you want more, and God hasn't given them to you. Pray about. I believe God may be leading you to adoption. We got a team building a playground this week. I pray that I call them back and go, "We need a bigger playground because we got so many kids running around here. We're bringing them in off the streets." I pray that I have to get up here week after week, after week, and say, we need more volunteers back here with our children because we got too many children. I pray that's our story. And again, if there's anything I've said that's less than the truth of God's Word, or I pray that falls on deaf ears. But the things that are from God, wrestle with this. This Word is above all of our cultures. That's what we're unified in. We're all here, and sometimes our nations don't get along. Sometimes our nations are fighting one another. This unifies us, the blood of Jesus, the Word of God. So above all our cultures, we go to the Word. May we be a people of the Word. So Paul, what Paul is doing is he's pulling the church in Galatia back to the truth of God's Word. We're going to see that in a minute. So us next point. I'll move through these last two a little quicker. It's so foolish to believe that works sanctify you. I'm going to do more work. See, this one's hard. Pastor, are you saying we shouldn't read the Bible? Are you saying we shouldn't memorize Scripture? Are you saying we shouldn't pray more? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But if you're reading the Bible going, I read the Bible, check. Check. Keep working. Keep memorizing. Keep reading. Keep praying. Check, 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 check. I'm earning it. I'm a good Christian. Or are you going, Jesus, I trust you. By faith, I need you, Jesus. I believe you're better than that sin my flesh wants to go to. So I'm going to cry out to you, you're greater. By faith, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live by faith. And God will sanctify you and mature you by faith. Do you see the difference? Don't lie, don't murder, don't cheat. I'm doing them all. I'm not lying. I'm not cheating. I'm not murdering. I'm not doing these things. God, I'm not going to lie because I have faith that you're better. Telling the truth here is going to hurt me. But I have faith that you're better than this. See, it's faith that makes us holy. Holy. Faith makes us more like Jesus. It's not works. Stepping out in faith and trusting God. You're greater. You're better than anything else. Now in verse 6, look at what he says. Here's his example. Just as I said, I want you to go to the Word and wrestle with anything I've said. If anything I've said today is uncomfortable or you may be like, I don't like what pastor said. I don't agree with it. Go to God's Word, okay? That's what Paul did. Look at what Paul says. He's telling them, hey, you Judaizers, you're saying you've got to be circumcised, and you've got to keep all these rules and do all these things. You misunderstand the Bible. I heard someone say this week, I think a lot of people have been here. A lot of people falsely believe in the Old Testament, you're saved by keeping the law. In the New Testament, Jesus saves you. Old Testament, the law. The law. New Testament, Jesus. Old Testament rules. New Testament, Jesus. Old Testament, keeping all these things, save you. That's a lie. It's not what the Bible teaches. Look at what Paul says here in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. This is quoting from Genesis 15:6. Genesis 15:6 says, Abraham believed God, and he was counted, or some translations say this, credited as righteous. Now, some of you, a lot of us use bank cards, right? You have a bank card, you go to the bank, you get money out. Now, not many use credit cards. We don't have credit cards here in Ethiopia, right? So we don't use those. But where I come from, we use credit cards. Let me tell you how a credit card works if you're a good parent here's what you tell your kids be careful with a credit card because here's what you do with a credit card you take it to the store and you say I want to buy this and they give it to you and you don't have to pay for it not yet you don't pay for it yet so a young person goes and I've got this credit card you can get a credit card at 18 years of age in the US They go and get a credit card and they go to stores and they buy all these things and then they come back and they have all this stuff, but they haven't paid for it. And guess what happens next month? They get a bill. You owe money. You have to pay for it. And if they don't have the money, guess what happens? The next month, they owe 25% more. And after that, they owe 25% more every month 25% more. 25% more. And they go in debt. Credit. In the Old Testament, the saints of the Old Testament are saved on credit. What do I mean? Someone's coming to save me. I'm gonna have faith in God. Abraham, your bill's not paid. It's gonna be. I can't pay my bill. Abraham couldn't pay his bill, but he had faith. Someone will come pay the debt. I've got a debt someone needs to pay. That's how all Old Testament saints were saved. And Jesus, when he came, he paid the bill for Abraham and all the Old Testament saints. Now New Testament, we get this one, right? We use debit cards, right? You use a debit card, you give that to somebody, the money is already in the bank and goes to the person immediately. So a debit card's already paid. That's what we operate on. That's how we also operate in faith your sin bill has been paid the wages of sin is death that's what you owe you owe death so you're say for God he's going to go what do you owe? I owe death I trust Jesus he paid my bill he paid my death bill he died in my place it's already been paid Isn't that good news? That's glorious news. So here's what Paul is doing with the Galatians. He's going back and saying, hey, we're not saved by works ever. Abraham was saved on credit, you're saved on debit. Christ paid for all. Christ paid for all the saints. How was Adam the first man to ever live? How was Eve the first woman to ever live? What saved them? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what saved them. What saved Abraham? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his victory over death. And Paul's saying, Galatians, don't misunderstand what saves you is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, him taking your sin to the cross to die for you. That's what saves us. So, our third point it's so foolish to believe that works saved Abraham. I was talking to some people. A lot of us have believed that. I believed that at one time. Old Testament, you're saved by works, being good boy. New Testament, you're saved by Jesus. No. Everybody in this book is saved the same way. Jesus Christ. Faith in Messiah. He's coming. That's who we trust in. That's who we hope in. So church, as we are of many nations... And Abraham's called the father of many nations. We gather here, various backgrounds, and we come together as unified and as one. Because here's where we're all alike we're all sinners. We all have a debt that we can't pay. Yet we all have the same man who's paid it, the man. The God-man, Jesus Christ paid your debt. I pray that you trust Him. I pray that you rejoice in that. I pray that you live in light of that. I pray that that truth you never outgrow, that you go, Jesus saves me. Jesus is going to sanctify you. He's going to make you more like His Son. He's going to make you more holy. And some of you here today, you've been trusting. You may say, hey, I'm saved by Jesus but you're trusting in works to make you more like Him. Faith is what makes you more like Jesus. Walking, not knowing exactly where we're going or how we're going to get there, but we know the one who's with us, the one who's going to take us home, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word. Your Word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It speaks truth. Lord, I'm a sinful, flawed man, so if there's anything I've said that in any way deviates from your truth, may that fall on deaf ears. But Lord, today... May we all rejoice in the fact that as children of the enemy we were adopted in, that we were left for dead in the garbage pile of the sin of this world. And you came and you picked us up and you said, They're mine. I'm taking them home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that salvation is through Jesus Christ that you've adopted us in, not as partial heirs, not as the household servant, not to be uh, scorned or shamed, but that you celebrate us, your adopted children that you've saved. Lord, I pray for this beautiful nation of Ethiopia. I consider it a great privilege to call this home. I consider it a great privilege to live with my dear brothers and sisters from Ethiopia and other parts of the world. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to bring healing to this land through the power of the truth of your word. Use us for your glory and as you see fit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.